Well, good afternoon. How are we doing today? Amen. Amen. Uh, we are here today, and this uh, session is creating an environment for the Holy Spirit. So if you were expecting a different class, you have about 60 seconds to get from here to wherever you thought you were going to be. Uh, and uh, the instructor listed for this class was Rick Shear, and he will be helping with the class. Uh, this was going to be a partnership, and he wants to know how come I wasn't put on the brochure, and uh, that was done intentionally. So, uh, but uh, I want to, my name is John Musgrave, and uh, we serve as what we call the church health director in our network resource center. And we also pastor at Bell Fountain First Assembly in Bell Fountain, Ohio. And uh, just give you a little of my background. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, uh, was saved at eight years old in South Lebanon, Ohio. And some of you from Southern Ohio would remember Cash Ambergy, uh, the home of Cash's Bargain Barn, where you can save cash with cash. Okay, come on, follow the signs to the bargain barn. So Cash's brother was my pastor. Cash's brother, Wayne, was my pastor when I grew up. And we were in a little storefront church in South Lebanon. I was saved in that storefront uh, Sundays and Wednesdays. It was a church, and every other day of the week it was a general store. It was a general store. They'd move all the merchandise out of the way put up curtains and stuff, and that's what I was, I was saved there, okay? And uh, I grew up in a very, very hot Pentecostal atmosphere, okay? Uh, we had a gentleman in our church, his name was Brother Sinner. But he was saved. And we always knew when the Holy Spirit was moving, because Brother Sinner would grab the two chairs in front of him and he would start making like a train. But <laughs> you knew when it got to full level, it, woo! So we, we knew that we we knew God was in the house, or at least he thought God was in the house anyway. Uh, so, so I grew up in, in that atmosphere. So uh, uh, when I was a, a, a junior in high school, uh, I was called, or I should say I said yes to the call of God. Uh, probably was called much younger than that and probably avoided it because I was probably afraid that Brother Sinner would come to my church. But, <laughs> but, but uh, I responded to the call my junior high school. We then moved to a little town called Dunkirk, Ohio. Dunkirk, Ohio. And I graduated from Hardin Northern High School. Some of you have heard of Ohio Northern University. Well, Hardin Northern is the neighboring high school. And uh, there were 52 people in my graduating class. And uh, if you pressed me, I probably could name them probably could name them. We had a one building school, K to 12, K to 12. Having moved there between my sophomore and junior year, 
I was in shock because I grew up in a school much larger than that. And my first day at Hardin Northern, the guidance counselor was taking me to my homeroom, and all these little kids are walking down the hallway. And I stopped and I said, Mr. Brown, I said, are these, why are these kids here today? So it's like an assembly or a special day. Oh, no, they're here every day. And we stopped. And he said, down there's the elementary. We're standing in the junior high. And we're going to the high school. <laughs> Culture shock. But anyway, so uh, uh, my dad served on the board. My mom taught Sunday school. And I'm saying all this because all I've ever known is the Assemblies of God. It's all I've ever known. Uh, I was born and raised in the day and age in which when the doors were open, we were at the church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If we had a two-week revival, we were there every night for two weeks. That's what I grew up in. And uh, so uh, I, I just want you to know the lens that I'm coming from this class from, okay? So, uh, and now if you still would like to stay. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, uh, I now pastor in Bell Fountain, Ohio. And uh, I tell people I'm full-time at the network and part-time at the church. And uh, that is a very true statement. Uh, and uh, we pastored in the Girard area, which is a suburb of Youngstown, for 27 years before coming to the Network Resource Center. And uh, my cry has always been, and it still remains the same, that I want our church to be a healthy expression of a spirit-filled church. That's the cry of my heart. I want our church to be a healthy expression of a spirit-filled church. And uh, I've seen some stuff that has been labeled Pentecostal and blamed on God that I'm still not convinced that he should have borne the blame. But that's okay. Because we're flesh, we're flesh, and so forth. But uh, I want to talk to you for a little while today about creating that culture, that environment. And uh, Peter Drucker says it like this. He says, culture eats vision for lunch. Culture eats vision for breakfast. So culture is created with our language, our behavior, and our preferences. So what are you talking about? What are you acting out in your behavior? What are some of the preferences that you revolve your ministries around? I would suggest that those are becoming, whether consciously or subconsciously, those are becoming your culture. Culture can, can be defined as the style, the substance, and the shadows of your people group. The style, the substance, and the shadows of your people group. Style is how the church thinks or acts. How the church thinks or acts. Substance is the priorities and the behaviors that the church leaders model to the congregation. 
substance is the priorities and the behaviors that the church leaders model to the congregation. And shadows are the priorities and behaviors that the church leaders exhibit behind closed doors. I think you heard that one, didn't you? Okay, shadows are the priorities and behaviors that the church leaders exhibit behind closed doors. Now, I would suggest to you some value-based culture statements. Multiple intangibles create culture. Culture is more than an environment. More than an environment. More than a feeling and more than an atmosphere. Healthy culture never happens by accident. Healthy culture never happens by accident. I've been at Bell Fountain five years. Everything happening at Bell Fountain right now is my fault. I cannot blame it on anybody else. I've been there long enough that I'm developing a culture there. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody in the room. First year or two, I can blame the previous guy. First three or four years, I can point back and say, well, look what that guy did. I've been there long enough that what's happening there, I've been modeling. I've been speaking. I'm creating a culture. Whether publicly or privately, I'm creating a culture. Culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. Culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. Culture is created and guarded by the leaders. By the leaders. I feel very strongly that I'm the elder at Bell Fountain First Family. The elder in the Old Testament sat at the gate the gate of the city. The elder of the Old Testament controlled what came into the city and what went out of the city. The leaders of the church should have some sense of control culturally on what they're allowing to come in, what they're allowing to exist, and what they're going to model and so forth. People are loyal to a culture not to a strategy. I helped the network many times with pastoral transitions, and I've had many pastors call me a year or two after they've been at a church, and they'll say, Pastor John, this church doesn't want to follow my vision. And I'll say, well, talk to me a little bit. You know, and they talk, and I said, no, it's not your vision they're having trouble with. You're trying to change their culture. It takes a lot longer to change a culture than a vision strategy. I'm not saying you can't change the culture. I'm not saying you shouldn't change the culture. But you're not going to change a culture in a year. You're not going to change a culture in 18, 24 months. You're going to take some time to, to change that culture. Culture is more efficient than strategy. You get a church moving culturally in a, the direction you want them to move. That culture is going to be much more effective than any strategy, any vision, any mission, and so forth. Why? Because it goes so much deeper. 
goes so much deeper. A brittle, a brittle culture can doom even the greatest organization. A brittle culture can doom even the greatest organization. When strategy and culture collide, culture always wins. Culture always wins. Cultural miscues are more damaging than strategic miscues, and culture will have a significant impact on your future bottom line. Your future bottom line. Now let's talk a little bit about culture being created by language. By language. And the language of the Spirit and Power Church. When I, when I was a, a young pastor in Youngstown, I had a, a couple of mentors, and I won't mention names, but one individual, I remember one time talking to him one day, and I said, you know, Pastor, I said, I'm just not seeing the salvations that I'd like to see in my church. I'm just not seeing the conversions that I'd like to see in my church. And I was blaming, well, people aren't inviting their friends. People aren't inviting their coworkers. And I was kind of having a pity me because nobody else was doing their job, you know. And, and that pastor just, we're having breakfast. He said, well, John, when's the last time you preached the salvation message? I said, oh, I, I forget. And he just made this comment, and it stuck with me ever since. He said, John, what you preach, you will get. What you preach, you will get. Now, if we want a culture of the Holy Spirit, I would suggest we need to preach on the Holy Spirit. Culture is what you speak. Okay? Don't expect Holy Spirit to show up if you never mention Him. Don't expect Holy Spirit to be present if we're not talking about Him and so forth. And so I would suggest to you that sometimes we, we might need to preach more on Him. Uh, we may need to talk about more about Him during the week. Hey, we were in a board meeting this week, and we were praying, and the Holy Spirit just came into the room. Man, we were, we were doing evangelism this week, and we were out there doing our witnessing and so forth, and it, you just sensed the presence of Holy Spirit while we were doing that. Create a culture where you're talking about Holy Spirit. And I'm not telling you to be mystical. I'm not telling you to be spooky. I'm not telling you to lie. But talk about Him. Express Him. Let people know that you are a Holy Spirit church. You are a Pentecostal church. And uh, throughout the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, Corinthians 12, Corinthians 14, you know, over and over again, Paul and the apostles speak of Holy Spirit. Speak of Holy Spirit. If we're not speaking about Holy Spirit, if we're not speaking about His activity, I would suggest that we're not creating a culture. You know, we talk culture about missions, and I'm not opposed to missions. Jim Palmer, please. I love missions. Okay? And so what, when we want to create a culture of missions, what do we do? We talk about missions. We want to create a culture of, of salvations. What do we, do? we talk about salvation. We, we talk about wanting to get more laborers in the harvest field. What do we talk about? We talk about laborers. We talk about workers. So I'm suggesting that if culture is created by what we speak, we need to speak about Holy Spirit on a regular basis and not be afraid of it. 
Now, I will say this. As I said in my introduction, um, you know, I saw a lot of kooky stuff when I was a kid growing up. I mean, I saw some stuff that, and I think sometimes because we don't want to be labeled with the kook and the weird and so forth, we've basically kind of put it, I don't want to be that person. And that's why I said early on, I want to create a church where we have a healthy, spirit-filled environment. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that what the world needs is a healthy biblical expression of the power of the third person of the Trinity. But we're not going to get it if we never talk about it. We're not going to get it if we never talk about it. Okay? Yeah, there, there is some counterfeit. There is some spooky, so forth. So we're just going to stop talking about Holy Spirit because we're afraid of that. I know some people that are saved that don't even go to a Pentecostal church. They're still kooky. <laughs> they were kooky before they got saved, and they're kooky after they got saved. They were kooky before they got baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're kooky after. So am I going to quit talking about salvation? No. So, but I would suggest that one thing you, you, you need to talk about, preach on, exemplify with your lips the Holy Spirit's activity in the confines of your church. Please do not divorce yourself from Holy Spirit just because you're afraid of the weird and the kooky. Because there is a very biblical revelation of the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing I just mentioned is you, you need to represent Holy Spirit in your core values. By that I mean, again, behave Holy Spirit. What are your core values in your church? I think all of us have some core values. How do we display those core values? Core values are the DNA of your church. They influence your behavior. They determine your attitudes, your actions. I, you know, at Bell Fountain First, again, you know, our first core value basically is we want to create a place where people can meet with God. If you were there on a Sunday morning, you would hear me say sometime during that service that I believe one encounter with God can change a person's life. I believe one encounter with Holy Spirit can make all the difference in a person's life. So we're creating that as a value and we're modeling that. I tell my worship leader, worship leader, please don't speed read these songs. Take some pauses. Don't hesitate to let there be some quiet. Don't be afraid of quiet. Don't be afraid of silence. That's when God might do the most powerful things in our service. At the altar time, I want us to take our time and allow Holy Spirit, allow God to work. We're creating a core value, but we're modeling a core value. And I, again, we have an order of service. And we have times beside our order of service. We have goals every Sunday morning. But if you were in our leadership circle, you would hear me say, those times are just a guide. Those times are just a target. Those are just a target. We don't want to allow any of that to keep us from just waiting on God. Core values determine your attitude, your actions. People know whether you as the leader want Holy Spirit activity in your midst. They pick up on that. They understand that by the way you model it. Core values are the priorities. Core values are shared and modeled to new members. And I just want to mention here that, that, that we, we need to ask ourselves, what's the difference between our preferences 
and our biblical convictions. I mentioned earlier about Brother Sinner. Now, I am not here to judge Brother Sinner, you know, but my opinion is that was a reaction to Holy Spirit. That's my opinion, okay? Holy Spirit moves on me, I don't make like a freight train, okay? But I do have a reaction to Holy Spirit. I do have a response to Holy Spirit. But if I made my preference a biblical conviction, everybody that moves by the Spirit, you've got to make like a freight train. If you're not making like a freight train, then the Holy Spirit didn't move on you. But that's what we've done. Haven't we? We have. We've, we've spiritualized certain responses. Said, well, they're really, the Spirit's moving on them because this, this, and this happened. Okay? But if you're not of that personality type or that's not how the Spirit moves on you or your response to, uh, we're going to pray for you, brother. Because someday you'll really experience it. See, we, we've created Holy Spirit preferences. Okay? I prefer the NASB Bible. I like reading it. I like studying it. I like preaching from it. Okay. So if you're not reading that Bible, you're going to hell. <laughs> but that's what we've done. You know, and we've turned it into music wars and all that good stuff and so forth. But, but my preferences are valid for me because they make up my story. The Holy Spirit moves on me, as a rule, you're going to see one of two things happen. I'm going to get very quiet, or I'm going to get very weepy. That's just when the Holy Spirit moves on me. I find myself, because I feel like, man, I'm in His presence. And I just find myself just in awe. So I get quiet. That doesn't make me more spiritual than you. I'm just saying that's my preference. That's, that's what, that doesn't mean I don't dance a little bit. That doesn't mean I don't shout once in a while and so forth. But my preferences, we all have a preference. We've got to be careful that we don't allow our preferences to be something we impose upon an entire congregation, wanting them to enter into our preferences instead of biblical values. So we need to ask ourselves, how did the Holy Spirit move in the Bible? What are some of those models that we see there? Okay. And we need to look at it biblically and say, here's a biblical model of Holy Spirit. Here's a biblical way Holy Spirit moved. Okay? And then we need to begin to say, how, how can we get this model into part of our worship service, into part of our prayer time and so forth? And as we exalt biblical values and biblical models, speaking of it, allowing people to behave in that way, I believe we'll begin to create a culture where Holy Spirit will be very present. And I also believe we'll create a culture that he'll be honored because we're responding to him in a biblical way, not just a preferential way. So, uh, and, and again, we all have preferences. We all have preferences. I'm an old man. I'm older than everybody in this room. And so I still like the hymns. I still like the hymns. Okay. But we don't sing hymns at my church. My preference would be that we'd sing multiple hymns every Sunday. Okay? But because most of my church is under 35, you sing a hymn, they think you've sung a new chorus. 
I'm just, I'm just saying. My preference would have us do this. But if I'm going to reach the Jerusalem that God's put me in to reach, okay, and that's all I'm saying in, in regards to the Holy Spirit, what are some biblical values, biblical models, and how do we bring those into our worship service in a healthy way? And I'm saying you speak that and you model that. And as you begin to model that over time, I believe you'll create an environment where Holy Spirit will come. Now, I'm going to pause here just a moment. Uh, if you're in a church setting where Holy Spirit is, he's present, don't, I, I won't say that, but maybe the demonstrativeness of his giftings and so forth is not as present, and you have a large group of people that don't understand those things, please take time to explain those things. Please take time to explain those things. You know, somebody has a message in tongues and interpretation, you know, you are not quenching Holy Spirit by simply pausing after that's done and saying, hey, some of you might not be familiar with what just happened here uh, in the book of Corinthians and Paul's writings. We see this uh, taught and we believe in that expression here today. And we believe that as we're open to that expression, the Holy Spirit's able to edify and he's able to encourage. He's able to challenge. And you can expect that. You know, here in our facility, uh, that's not going to cause the Holy Spirit to say, oh, man, he's teaching now. I'm going to leave. So I would just encourage you to to take the time and and model those things. And, you know, uh, sometimes we've allowed other people's personal preferences to violate our culture to the point that guests and so forth are really not wanting to be a part of what we consider a healthy Pentecostal church. Okay, so that again, culture is not only what you allow, but it's what you don't allow. And I'm speaking primarily to pastors now, but if there's some kooky thing going on, as a pastor, you need to take that and, and lead that and guide that and teach that. Maybe step off the side, and Sarah has been a part of my church for many years, and she's seen me model this. You know, I'm very patient with somebody the first couple times. You know, Sarah, you give some weird tongue and interpretation that wasn't biblical and so forth. I'm not going to say anything publicly that first time. But I'm going to talk to her privately. Second time, I'm going to say, you know, Sarah, we talked once. Talk this time. Next time you do this, and it's this crazy stuff going on again, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to say something publicly. You understand what I'm saying? But I feel like that's my job as the pastor. So I think, again, sometimes we're so afraid of the uh, the the unbiblical that we just say nothing instead of being the pastor and manning up and saying I got I, I got to teach this I got to mentor this I've got to be the elder and and guide this situation so uh, many times we need to understand that so uh, the other thing I want to mention today and then I'm going to turn it to Rick and uh, you know we 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 need to model it we need to model it okay now again for me modeling for me means that before my staff meetings, before my board meetings, I, I will just say to my leaders, I say, can, can we just pray in the Spirit for a little bit? That might look different for anyone in this room, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, uh, but, but if you've experienced the fullness of the Spirit, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, well, would you just join us for a few moments and just pray in the Spirit? And so my staff, my board, and so forth, we, we spend three, five, seven, whatever minutes just, and, and I'm not saying it's totally praying in the Spirit, but the focus during those first few, and, and so what am I doing in that small setting 
of three to five liters or two to four liters, I'm, cre- I'm modeling we're people of the Spirit. We're people of the Spirit. Okay? And, and then as that group might expand, maybe a prayer meeting, maybe there's 15, 20 people in a prayer meeting. And so we begin that prayer meeting and say, you know, before we go praying in English tonight or this morning, can, can we just pray in the Spirit for a while? Can we just pray in that heavenly language that God gave us when, when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit? And so again, what, what are we doing? We're just talking about it, we're putting values in place, but then we're beginning to model it, behave it. Okay? And there again, I'm just a, just a little thing, but if I've got a weird board member like Dan Deem, and, and in that small setting, he starts doing something that's weird, it's a whole lot easier for me to control it in that three to five group. You understand what I'm saying? Because if Dan takes that out into the sanctuary, I've got 80 people, you know, oh my goodness, you know. You understand? And if the staff starts, you know, doing something... Ah, Kyle, I mean, I love you, I really do, but that's not the way. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? I can use that small group setting, again, to be the pastor, but can it help to behave in those? And then in the prayer meeting, as that circle goes from 3 to 5 to 15 or 20, I allow them to behave in that smaller setting, but I still have a relative sense of some control rather than in the large public setting of 100, 200, 500 people that I'm allowing, I'm modeling, I'm allowing them to behave in a certain way, and, and the culture is being established. So, uh, and, and I think we need to, to do that. And if you look in Luke and John and Acts and so forth, you'll find over and over again where people lived under the control of the Holy Spirit. And uh, my question is, as a leader, if you want to create a culture for Holy Spirit, I would suggest it begins by you living under the influence of Holy Spirit. Are you living under the influence of Holy Spirit? And model that. Model what that looks like in, for you in a healthy way. Okay? Uh, if you were in, in my church very long, whether you be a board member, staff member, you probably would never hear me say, God told me. That's just not my lingo, okay? I'm not condemning that lingo. I'm just saying that's not my lingo. But I might say something like this. I I just sense the Holy Spirit. And let me share something with you. And, you know, I might not be right. You know, I might be told, but can I share this with you? Okay. And what am I doing? I'm I'm trying to show them what I feel is a healthy way to express that, okay? And if they're in that inner circle and they see that over a period of six months, a year, two years, then they're, I think they'll kind of catch that. They're in that prayer meeting setting where 15, 20 or whatever, after a period of time, they'll begin to catch that this is not only biblical, but this is the way our shepherd models this. I'm creating a culture. So, uh, but I would encourage you to model it and so forth. The last thing I'm saying, I'm going over Rick and I apologize, but we try to talk about Holy Spirit at every level of, of people's engagement with our church. Okay, we have a guest connection tomorrow at our church. Okay, and a guest connection for us is anyone that's visited the last month, they're, they're invited to a guest connection. And so me and a couple of the other people in leadership will meet with our guests, and they're going to hear me tomorrow talk about a healthy, spirit-filled environment, a healthy, spirit-filled church. So if you've been at our church two weeks or four weeks, that first entry point, you're already hearing 
Oh, that's where I'm at. Because if you're not interested in that, find someplace else. If you don't want to be in a Pentecostal church, that's okay. But that's who we are. In our growth track, somebody comes into that step of growth track, they're going to hear about we're a healthy, spirit-filled environment. What's that look like? We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. We believe in the gifts and the ministries of the Holy Spirit. They're going to hear that at that point. When they come into membership, they're going to hear that same thing again. And I'm not trying to scare people away. I just don't want to do a bait and switch. I want them to know. Okay? And I've had people visit our church and thank you, but no thank you. That's okay. I pray you find a church that really ministers to you and meets your need. Go for it. You understand what I'm saying? And so when they're in our service or in our prayer meeting two years later, why? What's he talking about? You know, you, you understand what I'm saying? But what, also when I'm, I'm speaking it, every opportunity I get, I'm just not doing it on Sunday morning, but every opportunity, I'm speaking culture. I'm speaking culture to that church. I'm behaving culture. I'm acting out culture, and I'm allowing myself to steward culture. And again, we've got a long ways to go. The first three years I was at Bell Fountain, we didn't have one message in tongues. Okay? I have no idea. I have, you know, okay? But it's not uncommon now for us to have two or three each month. Okay? That's not because of me, but I just, over time, we've just tried to stir that pot healthily. I've got one lady. Uh, she's used often in the gifts. Okay? And I've not told her to do this, but she'll come out. I'll be leading the service, and she'll walk up to the edge of the platform, and I know what's going on, and I'll walk over there. Her name's Shelly. Say, yes, Shelly. She goes, I, I feel like I've got a word for the congregation. Oh, okay. Do you, do you want? No. I want to tell you so you can tell them. Okay? Now, some of you might say, well, that's no way to do it. For her... And her step of faith, I am so proud of her, okay? Well, when you get bold enough to speak it yourself, then I'll let you, no, I'm not. I'm trying to create a culture, and I want her to feel comfortable. That's okay. Now, does everybody do it that way? No, but for her right now, that's her comfort zone, and I'm okay with that. But the people are seeing that we have a culture where Holy Spirit might interrupt our service, and that's okay. So, Rick. I am uh, Rick Shear. I am a uh, I've been there as well for about five years. And uh, I am uh, very much so uh, a believer that we need to have a healthy place where we're allowing the Holy Spirit to move. I do. I believe 100% it has to be culture. I believe it has to be trained and taught. And I believe that Jesus taught it to us with Acts 1.8, the first part, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He doesn't say if, he doesn't say uh, maybe, he doesn't say uh, possibly, he says when. He says when. And we have to be creating that, as John was saying. You know, too many times, I come from a background, let me, let me, let me step back, I come from a background that is pretty much opposite of John's. <laughs> I didn't grow up in church. Uh, in fact, I started going to church on my own in high school with a buddy. 
And uh, it was a Baptist church. Uh, you didn't move in the spirit <laughs> in that Baptist church, okay? You just didn't do it. I mean, you, you just sat there and you were quiet. And, and uh, if, you, uh, if you were talking in the back, oh, you were in so much trouble. And, uh, and, and that's, that's my background. And I did that on my own. It wasn't a family thing. It wasn't uh, my family uh, drug me to church. But what I've discovered is over the years and over multiple churches, off, over multiple different kind of cultures, is that the churches that were important to the people were the churches that embraced the Holy Spirit. Too many times we allow other things to block us from the Holy Spirit. In the assemblies of God. They, I mean, it, this is a sad number, but somewhere less than 50% of the adherents of the assemblies of God believe in the power and the move of the Holy Spirit. We're to blame for that. Because those that don't know the Spirit, those that don't experience the Spirit, cannot be talking about the Spirit, cannot be modeling the Spirit, cannot be sharing about the Spirit. And if we call the Spirit it, whoa. How many, how many of us know people that do that? Yes. The Spirit is a He. He's the third person of the Trinity. And until we recognize who He is, we have to be recognizing who He is. And one of the things that um, I'm going to just share a little bit about where I'm coming from as far as what we do in our church. Uh, it, a culture is about impossible to change unless you're working on it day after day after day. Unfortunately, the Assemblies of God as a whole has become a culture that is not necessarily in favor of the move of the Holy Spirit. It is sad but true. Whoever just said that, it is sad but true. And we've got to be the ones that stand up. Now, one of the things we do in, 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 uh, in our church at Living Hope is I've, I've cut out a piece of our service. I preach less now, and I allow the Holy Spirit to move more. We end every service with an opportunity for people to seek the Spirit. This isn't time for people to be praying for their needs. We do that in the middle of the service. We do that during our worship time, pretty much like a traditional church. But at the end of the service, we simply turn down the lights. We create the atmosphere. We turn down the lights. My worship team comes up with no microphones. How many worship teams do that? <laughs> my my uh, piano and my organ, we're, we're a pretty traditional church, my piano and my organ go forward and play softly. They have their volume turned all the way down. In fact, our, we have an electronic piano, and it's off on the keyboard. It's just coming through their little nine-inch speaker, okay? And we play softly. And the worship team uh, uh, sings softly, because I've experienced the other end. When I'm up there seeking the Spirit, and I'm, I'm trying to seek the Spirit, and then they're just banging away. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't create that atmosphere. So we're modeling that. And I'll tell you, when I first started this, it was really sad. When I first started this, and even now, uh, we would have people in the back having conversations. Where, where are we going to go to lunch? What are we going to do? You know, and I, I, I'm thinking, what's going on here? So I, go, I start out, this is not the time. 
This, you, you have your lunch conversations out in the foyer, please. This is where people are seeking the Spirit. And so, like, when we dismiss, I don't dismiss. We don't stop playing the music. We don't, allow, we don't make people leave. We let them linger as long as, they, as long as they need to. And when I dismiss, I'll walk to the back, and I'll make sure the back doors stay closed. That way, if there's conversations happening in the foyer, they stay in the foyer. But when conversations with the Spirit are happening in the sanctuary, they stay in the Spirit. I, I've kind of said this in my church, and i got to be careful because we live in an age of catchphrases. And um, please don't hear me negatively when I say this, because it's going to sound negative to a point. But we have to stop being seeker-sensitive and start being seeking-sensitive. We've made it so important to bring visitors in, so important to keep visitors, that we've asked the Holy Spirit to step out of our churches. It's true. And, and you know, we've got to stop being seeker-sensitive and start being seeking-sensitive because the number one thing with Gen X is they want authenticity. And we as believers cannot be authentic unless we are truly seeking the Spirit. Because He's the one. He's the one that gives us the power. He's the one that takes us to that next level. And John's absolutely right. Every meeting we have drives me nuts when, when I go to meetings. And we don't at least pray before the meeting starts. Oh, that just drives me nuts. Because we've neglected asking the Spirit to be part of that meeting. We've got to be modeling these things. And I'm talking about leaders. I'm talking about leaders in the assemblies of God. I'm talking about myself. There's times I've started a meeting and I've forgotten to pray. And I, then the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? And so I stop immediately. And I pray. Because we've got to be moving in the Spirit. And we've got to be asking the Spirit to be part of who we are and what we're doing. And when we're not doing that, we are simply telling him, stay in the foyer. And when we tell the Holy Spirit to stay in the foyer, we were telling the Father to stay in the foyer. And when we're telling the Father to stay in the foyer, we're telling the Son to stay in the foyer. And then we might as well be a country club instead of a church. I can remember one time early in my marriage and I was just a young Royal Ranger leader then. I wasn't a pastor then. And I was pretty zealous, pretty on fire for God, which sometimes we lose that a little bit, but I think we lose that when we don't seek the Spirit, okay? But I was zealous, and I was pretty on fire for God. And I remember going to a Christmas Eve service to a non-Pentecostal church. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about it. A non-Pentecostal church. And I remember being there. I was, I was there visiting somebody. They were going to be singing, and I was there to there watch them. And the pastor starts saying something. And he starts saying his message. And he starts saying it wrong. Okay? He starts misquoting scripture. Okay? And I guess I better back up. I walk in this Christmas Eve service with my Bible. That was my first mistake. <laughs> Okay, and, and so, but he starts, so I open my Bible while the pastor's preaching, and all the people around me 
start, what are you doing? I thought I was going to get kicked out of that church because I was wanting to know God's word. Well, God's word tells us we need to be seeking the person of the spirit. And God loves us. God wants the very best for us. And that's what we need to be seeking for our churches. We need to be seeking the very best for our churches. And part of that is seeking the Spirit. Our board meetings, we don't end our board meetings. We literally have it on the schedule that we're going to do it. Because if we don't schedule it, Satan will take the time up. If we don't get it on that agenda, Satan will take it away. Just like your Bible study, just like your prayer time. If you don't intentionally do what you need to do to seek the Holy Spirit, something else will fill that time. Someone else will fill that time. Someone else's will fill that time. And so that, that's kind of where I come from. You know, I've seen the other side of that. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of opposite of John there. But I've also seen what the lack of desiring of the Spirit can do to a church. And what happens is church becomes a social place. I, I had a pastorate, and that pastorate, church was the social hour. And the religion was what they could get on TV. And they had no desire to have that culture changed. Four years later, they were still having no desire to have that culture changed. And today, today that church doesn't exist because there was no desire to seek the Holy Spirit. So modeling it, making time for it, setting aside opportunity, talking about it you have a you have a move you have a move of the spirit in your service make sure somebody's on that mic afterwards explaining it to the young people because you know what when you got young kids in your sanctuary that scares them to death i'll remember my wife she was she was in her 30s the first time she heard the, someone speaking in tongues and she was scared to death not even just young people she was scared to death because it is a scary thing, hearing somebody uh, make a choo-choo sound. <laughs> Remind them, though, that the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. We had a lady that's 83 years old in our church. Didn't want to be baptized in the Spirit because she didn't want the Spirit to make her act like a chicken. <laughs> That's what she believed, John. <laughs> she believed the Spirit was going to make her act like a chicken if she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And about six or seven years, right before I got to the church, she was baptized in the Spirit. She said, I have no idea what I was thinking. It's because we've not talked about it enough. It's because we've avoided it. And yes, there's crazy things out there. And you do have to put your thumb down. And when there's a move in the Spirit, as you being part of the congregation, don't squelch it with your own comments. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but it's true. I had a lady several years ago. We were in the middle of a move on a Wednesday night. Just, just an incredible move. And she yells out, I can't concentrate to pray because there's too much noise going on. I'm not kidding. <laughs> 
And you know what? To this day, there's people that still have not prayed out loud again. We've got to be careful of those things we say. Because if we do trip into those personal preferences, that was a personal preference. She preferred it to be quiet. Now, why she didn't go to our prayer room where it was quiet, I don't know. But she preferred it to be quiet. She's now no longer going to a Pentecostal church, by the way. <laughs> but that was her preference. And if we allow preferences to move, culture won't change, or culture will become those preferences. And if it's not the seeking of the Spirit, we are inching our way farther and farther away from God. I believe it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And I know it. And then, on it, for me, on a personal level, meetings, groups, services, we've got to schedule time for ourselves to be interacting with the Holy Spirit. Many of us would say we're pretty good at our prayer study, or prayer time. Many of us would say we're pretty good at our Bible study. Not perfect, but pretty good. But how many of us take the time to seek the Spirit as individuals? Because, see, 1130 Indiana Avenue isn't the church. The church comes with us. And so when we bring the church with us, when we bring the Holy Spirit with us, we are going to see those gifts move. We're going to see things happen. I can tell you just right before Christmas, we had four baptisms. And all four of those baptisms were a result of our scheduled time of the Holy Spirit at the end of our service. Not because of me, not because of what we were doing, and not because of anything but the Holy Spirit moving upon these people. We had four baptisms and then, uh, right, we had four salvations and then immediately we baptized them because of the power and the move of the Holy Spirit. God will move. God will not move if we don't ask him to. He's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. John, do we have any questions for him? Any questions, guys? Yes. Well, I'll give you my thoughts, and I'll let John talk. I, personally, I think that's all about what you're teaching. You know, again, that's part of that, from that personal preference to that culture. Making sure that you're teaching biblical principles about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's culture, though, so it's hard to... It is. It is culture. And it's not going to happen overnight, you know. Uh, it's not going to happen at, at one single setting. Yeah, you know, go through Bible studies. I, I'll tell you, I'll give you two good resources. Uh, one that Doug Clay just wrote, GPH just brought out, and that's teaching on the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a whole church thing. Uh, it's a whole church uh, uh, study. Uh, youth, children, adults, small groups, fantastic, okay? And then one for, the, like, the pastors is, is clearing the stage is what it's called. And it's a book, and it, it, it talks about 
too many times we think we're moving in the Spirit, but we don't actually yield to the Spirit. You know, and, and so, you know, again, you got to be teaching it, and it's going to take over and over and over. And it's going to feel, uh, for me, when, when I, with that, through that four years of experience and people just didn't want to seek God, it felt like hitting my head on a brick wall. Over and over and over. But you know what happens? Eventually that brick wall starts to tear down. Um, eventually, uh, George Woods wrote in his book about his parents a few years ago. Uh, just beating on the wall. Beating on the wall and they never saw the victory. But the pastor that came after them saw the, the results, the harvest of them just pushing that. And pushing that. And so that would be my encouragement to you. And, and John? It just takes time. It just takes time. I, I wish there were shortcuts. I really do. Uh, but I would encourage you to, to continue to teach along mm-hmm. biblical guidelines. Uh, celebrate the wins. They're going to reinforce the culture that you're wanting to see. Um, and, uh, you know, I would say it again. Um, I think most of us here, you know, uh, we do believe that the initial physical evidence is speaking in other tongues. But the ongoing evidence of the baptism is we are, we are witnesses. And I think we've, we've misconstrued both. You know, I know people that speak in tongues but haven't shared their faith you know, so I would say, are you really filled with the Spirit? You know, because they've not. So we just got to keep, you know, reminding people of not only the initial evidence, but what is the ongoing evidence. He's so real in my heart that I can't help but just share what he's done for me. So, yeah, back to that. We will be witnesses. Amen. Amen. Any other questions? Uh, that is Doug Clay. That, that's Doug Clay, yes. That's right from GPH. Uh, it's a new initiative that the national office has put out. and I'm just so excited about it. I can't wait to teach it. We're going to start teaching it uh, immediately after Easter, uh, leading us up to Pentecost. Absolutely. They have, they have, uh, they have uh, sermon prep. They have small group prep. Uh, they have a youth CD, and then they have a children's uh, DVD that goes along with that. And it just really, and it's all teaching the same thing all throughout the church at the same time. So you know that something isn't being changed. As John was saying, being the leader that wants to guard that, you know. So yes, absolutely, that, the children's part of that. And you can buy just the children's part of it. Or get the whole thing, absolutely. Absolutely, go Royal Rangers. <laughs>
Yeah, great analogy. That, yeah, that's great analogy. I'll probably be using that one, John. <laughs> Amen. Yes. It's actually less, but I was I was being generous. <laughs> the adherents don't believe in the move of the spirit, right? Well, uh, uh, kind of what John was saying, sometimes you got to be the pastor and you got to man up. And, uh, you know, um, and, and if it's coming from the leadership, then that's got to be, you know, a, as a spirit believer, you've got to maybe have that conversation with the leadership. Um, you know, uh, one of the things, like I said, you know, when we first started our initiative of, ha- of just seeking the spirit at the end of service, I had people in the back talking. Well, to me, that's quenching the spirit, you know, uh, and, and I agree with you. Quenching the spirit is different than moving in the spirit in different ways. And I just, you know, take the conversations outside. Be nice, be loving, be caring, be compassionate, but say what needs to be said. Do the things that need to be doing. And, and, and I would encourage you, keep focusing on Jesus. Keep focusing on Jesus, because too many times we are distracted about the ones that won't be seeking Jesus. There's going to be people that just simply will not seek the Holy Spirit, even in a Pentecostal church. And all we can do is keep teaching it and keep guiding them, keep leading them, and keep having the conversations. And it's going to take time, but, you know, and with a diverse church, it's going to be harder. Yeah. John, any other thoughts? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Very good book.
Yeah, the very good book. I agree with you. Yep, absolutely. Any other questions? Yes. And, and I guess I don't understand. So, so you're saying because it's a large situation, they they don't allow it? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, or is that right? I, I, all I can do is give you my opinion on that, and my opinion is that's wrong. You always allow the spirit to move. Now, if it's not the spirit, then 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 you then you then you stop it. But if the if it's really the spirit moving, in my opinion, it doesn't matter the size. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, I, well, they could, they could, but like, again, for me, my opinion is they shouldn't be trying to hear the person speaking. They should be speak, seeking the, the Holy Spirit themselves. And so that's my opinion. John? But I think the size of the auditorium and the number of people that were present can make it very difficult for the public uh, you know, expression of the gifts, uh, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, and in particular, if somebody doesn't have a real strong voice or uh, things of those that can they can can hinder, you know, everyone being hearing that. So, uh, but I do think that there are things that can be put in place that can allow for that person to uh, to be given that freedom and at the same time be heard and so forth. The other part of that that I, I think some pastors might be a little bit um, concerned about is that that large audience, sometimes then you don't know all of the people that are in attendance, and, and you might not have full confidence in that person really speaking to your body of believers. And, and, and I hear that as a, you know, I understand that as a pastor because I am the shepherd of that flock. And I want to be careful that some rogue is not coming in and planning something. So you might hear some pastors say that if you have a word, then, then please come to the front and share that and so forth. And some would attribute that to not being sensitive to the spirit and so forth. But I understand that as a pastor trying to protect, you know, in a sense, the flock that God has charged me uh, that I'm answerable to God. So I, uh, personally, I think that if you've got a large auditorium, there are ways to overcome volume, and I think there's even ways to overcome, you know, that confidence that you might have in that person speaking to your group by allowing that maybe to be screened or shared with someone that you do have confidence in so that you know it's not going to be detrimental uh, to the body of Christ. Being authentic, absolutely, absolutely. 
Absolutely. We are running out of time, but <laughs> the spirit will move if we're seeking and giving him opportunity have a great rest of your day